Hello, welcome back. This time, I have a story for you. Well, what it's really about is a surprise. And it would be a shame if I told you before the story had even begun. But I will say that it's about a woman who is a wonderful party host, a man who is a sergeant major in the US military, and an alien who is a little more difficult to talk about. But I'll stop there with all the hints and spoilers. We are around the campfire, and this is where our story begins. The chopper blades sent crescent shockwaves across their camoed heads, blasting the tall grass flat and making the trees bow down. The sergeant major's clothes rippled and flapped hard in the storm of wind and sound, as if trying to escape the merciless, unyielding frame of his body. Men streamed from the hovering choppers, joining those already in formation around the wooden hut. The sergeant major looked up at the stars. He hadn't seen so many since his last deployment, that was many years ago, and far away. Who knew that the sky could be so bright in his own country? Beside him, he heard the buzz of the commander's earpiece, each platoon signaling readiness. He did not look away from the stars as the commander lowered his finger from his earpiece and said, All teams in position. We're standing by, sir. The sir seemed a little out of practice. The commander was not used to being outranked in the field. Good keep them on alert. This is only a fraction of the men I requested, he sighed. Sir, I don't understand. She's just one girl. If this isn't enough, I don't know what is, sir. The sergeant major shook his head. Nothing is enough. This is all just a deterrent. If she really wanted to get rid of us, there'd be nothing anyone could do. Why don't we go in? The commander's hand fell to his gun. He said nothing. Well, I'm heading in. You can join me if you want, but that's not an order. You can know how this will go down. It might have been more effective to just send her an email. He squeezed the bridge of his nose and ran his hand down his face. The chopper engines cut out, soon to leave them with nothing but the sounds of the night and the trained silence of the elite crouching killers. With another sigh, he set off down the corridor of heavily armed soldiers to the door of the hut. After a brief hesitation, the commander followed in a formal march. On second thought, said the major, turning, I think you should probably wait outside. Scattered around the kitchen were rolling pins and cutting boards, empty wine bottles covered in flour, and eggshells in little leaning stacks the aftermath of a pasta-making party. But these ruins lay forgotten, and the diners were comfortably cramped around a too-small table, chatting away and pouring wine into each other's mismatched glasses. The pasta was nowhere to be seen, 
but their plates were a bit oily where they had been wiped clean by slices of fresh sourdough that somebody had brought. The diners were not acting as if they were surrounded by battalions of heavily armed killers. There were six of them, each one so individual in their dress and hair and ways of speaking that it seemed like the only possible company in which they wouldn't stand out was each other's. They hadn't noticed the military man enter. The sergeant major rapped politely on the open door. A few heads turned, and the conversation died down, although a young man and a woman on the far side of the table continued an animated discussion about something abstract. A woman with red and white polka-dotted dress and a wild beehive of vibrant red hair smiled at him. It was a pleasant expression, but there was an awful strength in it, nonviolent and yet totally unafraid of confrontation. The sergeant major had mastered death, law, and order, but he knew she was something beyond his jurisdiction. Sorry for interrupting, he muttered uncomfortably. We've got to speak with you about something. Uh, very important. The woman with the red hair stood while the animated conversation between the couple at the table continued. You don't seem very sorry, she said. I'm happy for you to bring a plus one, but all those men out there are not invited. It's just a precaution. Command insisted I bring an escort. It's very juvenile. Would you like some delicious pasta? No, no, thank you. Well, said the red-haired woman, we haven't finished yet. So you can either join us or wait until afterwards for whatever you want to talk about. The sergeant major nodded stiffly and stood back by the door, waiting for the festivities to end. They didn't for several hours. At first, the diners ignored him, but now and then they would make pointed comments loud enough for him to hear, never mean-spirited, but playful and obviously at his expense. After dinner, some of them broke out musical instruments, and others grabbed pots and forks, and others sang, and they began a nonsensical song that was mostly chaos, with moments of creative brilliance. And then the singing and playing degraded into silly games that had no clear rules, or whose rules changed and changed with every moment. They tried more than once to get the sergeant major involved, and when he did not engage as a player, they made him into a feature, and danced around him and balanced things on his shoulders as he stood to attention, and told stories about his childhood adventures without asking him if they were true or even close to true. Only when the arguing couple were cuddled up together on the armchair in the corner, and the musicians lay on top of each other by the fire, and every member of the party was gazing at something or closing their eyes slowly in a comfortable silence, that the red-haired woman pranced towards the sergeant major, put her back to the wall next to him, flicked her head to face him, and said with a big smile and flushed cheeks, Okay. The sergeant major scanned the warm little hut and thought of the hundred soldiers still waiting, weapons trained on the cozy group that lay there completely unafraid because of her. They had effortless, absolute faith in her world. Quite the party, he nodded to the blissful nappers and the crackling hearth. She ran her eyes over the room, passing over each face and smiling lovingly. Yes, it's Wednesday. What would you like to ask me? The sergeant major nodded. Sure. Well, Joni, we need your help. She rolled her eyes. Obviously. With what? Diplomacy. She laughed out loud, 
although it didn't disturb the snoozing diners. You need more than my help with that, if your way of saying please is 13 special forces platoons. It's just a precaution. No, what we need your help for is uh, unprecedented. That's why we need you. He pulled out a manila envelope from his heavily decorated coat and handed it over to her. We've received coordinates that we believe are intelligent life. Extraterrestrial. Her eyes widened. You're joking. Aliens! She looked over her shoulder. Guys, aliens are real! No, they're not, grunted a girl by the fire in a macabre gray dress that looked like it had been spun by spiders. The young man and the cuddling couple broke away from his lover and exclaimed, Of course aliens are real. Imagine if... Oh. But he was shushed and pulled back into the hug, his argument forgotten. We're sending a delegation, the sergeant major went on, and we want you to be a part of it. We're hoping you can guarantee a positive diplomatic outcome. Joni's eyes were gleaming. Oh, it sounds amazing. And then over her shoulders, she said, Do you guys want to go into space and meet aliens? Stage one, entry burn, start up. An older woman's voice buzzed over the intercom. Joni was strapped to a fitted reclining seat along with Billow, the only one of her friends who hadn't had a gig or a party or otherwise just hadn't felt like going to space on the day of the launch. He normally dressed something like a cowboy and a wizard, but his boots couldn't be worn in the bloated advanced crew escape suits, and his glorious beard was stuffed into the globe of the tinted helmet. Across from them were the other two passengers, America's first ambassador to space and the sergeant major, whose name, she knew, was Sanders. Stage one, entry burn, shut down, said the woman on the intercom. Have you ever been to space before, Mr. Sanders? Joni asked over the open channel in her helmet. I have not, replied the commander. Neither have I, laughed the ambassador nervously. I have, said Billow. There was an awkward silence. Stage one, transonic. So, started the ambassador after a brief moment, is there anything we can expect when we arrive? I mean, aside from what was in the briefing. Joni shrugged invisibly under the spacesuit. How should I know? I didn't read the briefing. Well, I thought you might have... The ambassador hesitated and then said carefully, Well, the briefing included a, a description of your abilities. I was wondering if you know anything we don't. Oh, don't worry about it, sir. We're all going to be fine. She flashed him a plump thumbs up and Billow laughed into his beard. Nominal parking orbit, said the voice in the intercom, and then, oh my god, you've all got to see this. The surface of the planet was covered in what looked like smooth orbs from a distance, of varying sizes ranging from golf ball to several that were almost breaking the atmosphere the size of moons. They were dark gray, wrought from metal, and looked smooth from a distance. But as the ship blasted past the elegant shapes like a drunk elephant in a modern art exhibit, the crew were able to make out flaws in the spheres, arches, buttresses, circuits, rails, and shafts. The deliberate chaos of each atomically perfect, unique sphere implied an organization complex beyond perception, something almost organic. 
From each orb, a thin umbilical cord dropped to the surface of the planet and connected some orbs to others in slack loops. The ship touched down exactly on target, on a flat platform of black and gray marble decorated with irregular concentric circles, like the top of a huge petrified tree stump. One of these concentric circles, that Sanders noticed with unease, seemed to fit perfectly to the outline of their ship that sat exactly over it. The passengers stepped clear of their ship and waited anxiously. The spheres above them also covered the ground around them, which was flat and monochrome gray, marble like the landing zone. Some floated just above, and some were submerged halfway or more in the planet's smooth crust. The rocket's intercom went off in their helmets. Atmo is breathable, gravity 1.1 Earth. I can't believe we missed this place. Sanders unsealed his helmet and lifted off his lifted it. Sanders unsealed his helmet and lifted it off his head, turning to the other three. You'll take point, Ambassador. Joni, just watch and follow our instructions. Please. He didn't mention Billow, who was still in his helmet, and gazing about him, shoulders bobbing slightly as he laughed inside of his suit. A creature waited just beyond the platform, among the sea of spheres. It seemed to billow in the air, like it was underwater. There they are, Sanders, said the ambassador. Joni, we may need your help with translating, if that's something you can manage. Sanders shook his head. No, the broadcast they sent was in English. That won't be necessary. As they watched, the wraith-like creature dropped from two limbs onto five and loped towards them in an elegant, circular movement that preserved a sense of almost buoyancy. It was perhaps three meters tall, with long spines, or hairs, running down its back that each drifted through the air with a mind of its own. Its skin was a mottled green, broken in hundreds of spots by small, reflective black spheres that swiveled independent of any observable stimulation. The constant movement of its five limbs, spines, and spheres gave the whole alien an impression of undefinition. Despite its size, it wasn't clear if it was standing where it looked like it was standing, or a few centimeters to the left, or the right of that spot. It was a creature that human eyes had not evolved to look at. The ambassador boldly took a step to the front of the group and bowed, as per the briefing's advice on the most universal shows of respect on Earth. The creature straightened and, flinging three limbs into the air, gave a jittery impression of a theatrical bow in return. Hello, humans of Earth, said a voice from nowhere. Hello, replied the ambassador, rising and addressing the creature. I regret I do not know how to refer to our generous hosts. Neither we nor our planet have names. Generous hosts will more than suffice. It is a pleasure to meet you, the ambassador said. His voice was stern and yet respectful. In our world, we exchange our personal names as a show of respect. My name is Michael Burns. This is Humans of Earth will more than suffice. The voice cut through his stern address. In the silence that followed, Joni became aware of a deep humming sound that permeated the heavy air and made her skin tingle. 
You have come here to assess our intentions, the voice said slowly, having established that generous hosts are technologically superior to you. If you can secure diplomatic protection, you will. Otherwise, your mission is to gather military intelligence, or at best commit some act of sabotage in an attempt to stave off the inevitable subjugation of your people, just as we knew you would. The ambassador took a deep breath. Yes, well, it seems like you know our protocols. You have in fact been brought here under the authority of protocols that extend far past the breadth of human understanding. You shall now become our envoys, as per generous host's protocol. Before you stands a creature chosen for its comforting physical resemblance to yourselves. The shimmering creature bowed again as the voice continued. Like this creature, you will now be amalgamated into generous hosts, becoming vectors for the transportation of generous hosts to your planet in order to facilitate most efficient planetary amalgamation. As the voice spoke, trails of black smoke began to drip down from the nearest orbs, slowly falling in small piles about them. Sanders, hissed Joni. Did it say sabotage? You told me you wanted help with diplomacy. The droplets of blackness began to build up like stalagmites into more distinct shapes. Limbs became visible, mandibles and other shapes that did not resemble anything. Sanders was looking about them, trying to pinpoint the source of the voice. He ignored her. Excuse me, she said, and when he still did not reply, she looked directly up to address the voice from everywhere. And as for you, firstly, humans of Earth will not suffice. I'm not a human and I don't think I've ever claimed to be. I'm a Joni. This is a Billow. That's a Sanders. And that is... Well, the ambassador has a name, but I haven't asked it yet. And secondly, I haven't come here to assess your intentions at all. To be honest, I couldn't care less about your intentions. The spheres nearest them began to moan as the shapes that leaked from beneath them grew still larger. A host of unimaginable strangeness that flitted from one shape to another like the tips of a bonfire. Billow tapped her shoulder. Hey, Joni, maybe we should head home. She frowned intensely at the sky. Okay, Joni, the commander said urgently. Now would be a good time for you to do something. Shh, I'm trying to concentrate. Her brows furrowed, and then she threw up her arms and bellowed. It was the almost silent boom of the avalanche, the roar of the falling redwood, an elemental, tectonic resonance that made the spheres about them quiver and their tethers moan under the strain. What are you doing, Joni? said the voice more quickly than before. Oh, so you're listening now. She didn't wait for a reply. Good. You don't know anything about me. Gracious hosts have read your mission briefing. You are described as possessing a yet unquantified ability to manipulate reality at will. That's how the military say it. That doesn't change your plans for world domination at all. It does not. There are vast spectra of insignificant things deemed by humans of Earth as unquantified. You are likewise insignificant. Insignificant? Insignificant? Her eyes were wide, her hair wild and tall, her voice high with outrage. Okay, prick! Her hands splayed wide, and a mighty wind swept up her hair and sent it billowing about her like a storm cloud. 
The other humans staggered in the wind and then shouted in astonishment when they saw what had caused it. The majority of the orbs about them had disintegrated into little specks that were no longer gray, but black, orange, and russet. They were monarch butterflies. Swarms of them. I'm also not very impressed with the wording in the brief, Joni was shouting over the wind. The way we like to talk about it is that I can do anything if I really want to. Anything! The spots burst apart and filled the air with a fluttering myriad of colours. Maybe it's a uniquely human concept, I don't know. Please go reassess. The strange, tall creature turned without a word and loped away back into the sparse remaining spheres and clouds of butterflies. Then Joni whirled on Sanders and said very sternly, I don't appreciate being used as a weapon, Sanders. He said nothing and began to make his way back to the rocket. Go on then. And when we land, you and your entire command are going to quit the army and become primary school teachers, and you'll learn to love it. They piled back into the rocket ship and strapped into their seats, while Commander Sanders radioed in a positive diplomatic outcome, as well as a surprising-sounding resignation and an out-of-character word on how much he cared about the education of future generations. This was met by a surprisingly unanimous agreement from all listening parties. The ambassador seemed to be in shock, but once everybody was ready for takeoff, he finally turned to Joni and asked, If you don't mind me asking, I mean, world hunger, wars, everything. She rolled her eyes. Yes, well, two reasons. One, it's hard to do hard things. Some difficult things are easy for some people or in some situations, but on the whole, they're hard. And that's true for everybody, including me. I don't just wish for it, you know. I actually have to do it. Stage tanks, pressing for flight. T-minus 15. The woman in the intercom was back. Secondly, when you try to change the world for an ideal, things get tricky. I tried it when I was younger. But obviously, world hunger isn't just about making more food. There's corruption, distribution, financial dependencies. After the first few times trying, it just got... Too hard. It's easy blowing up a racist alien who's insulted me personally. But those other things can't be solved by one person. Not me, anyway. You make it sound like you're just a regular person. Stage one propulsion is nominal. Oh, I am, she grinned under her helmet. Really, when you think about it, what makes Joni so special is her ability to take on impossible amounts of difficulty. She has just as much actual power as anyone, and it's her ability to experience difficulty and push through difficulty 
within her mind, within whatever mechanisms that her power works on. And in that way, she can accomplish anything. Journey is based off a listener, um, Jessie. I'd like to thank her for her friendship and her, her listenership as well. Um, as well as all of you for listening. And also, I'd like to thank uh, Jose Salgado, who uh, wrote our new jingle. I hope you enjoyed it. I am so happy with it. And uh, as always, if you have any suggestions or uh, questions about possible directions for this story to go, for future stories or previous stories, please don't hesitate to let me know by sending me an email at pleasesendcampfires at gmail.com or message us on our Instagram. I'm very excited to be starting off season two, and I'm super happy to have all of you here and proud of how far we've come. I look forward to seeing you guys next time around the campfire. Thank you.